And a pleasant good evening to you on the Daily Dose of Hoops podcast. Jaden Daly back with you as season four of the podcast and the 2023-24 season in general has already begun. Still in the first week of non-conference college basketball matchups and two big ones for the sites coverage coming up this weekend. Iona hosting Sacred Heart on Friday at the Heinz Center and then on Saturday, Last year's Cinderella FDU goes into South Orange to take on Seton Hall at Walsh Gym. We bring in an expert for both teams and someone who continues to do great things in his own right, writing for Blue Ribbon, also writing for the NEC Overtime blog. We've had him on the podcast in the past to talk about Mount St. Mary's joining the MAC a year ago. He makes his return here this week as College Hoops has gotten into full swing. We welcome back to the Daily Dose of Hoops podcast from Blue Ribbon and NEC Overtime. Ryan Peters joining us. Ryan, thank you for coming on, spending some time with us again. How's the offseason treated you, and how has the first 48, 72 hours as we record in 23-24 been to you so far? I'm good, Jaden. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And yeah, it's just great to have college basketball back. You know, I have my first Wagner game where I'm the color analyst uh, tomorrow. They're playing a D3 Malloy, but it's going to be great to be back on NEC front row and soon I'll be writing for the NEC again. So I'm, I'm recharged. I'm ready to go. Uh, you know, it could be, a, as you know, there's a lot of turnover in the NEC, you know, coming up, you know, in the past with Bryant and Mount St. Mary's and coming up with Sacred Heart and Merrimack. So I'm really just trying to enjoy this upcoming season and for what it is. And uh, you know, hopefully it's a great year. Absolutely. And a little background story for those who don't know, Ryan's on air career actually started, in a similar format to what we're doing right now, when he was on my halftime show in 2012, when Sacred Heart visited St. Francis, Brooklyn, he's only grown by leaps and bounds since then. And Ryan, I begin with the pioneers with Anthony Latina at the helm team that was picked as the consensus choice to win the NEC this season with Nico Gallette and a variety of seniors on the roster. Ryan, what strikes you as impressive and formidable about this sacred heart team their depth you know they have they have nine ten guys that they could comfortably play in in different positions not just you know their second unit guys are guys that could probably start for other teams in in the nec if if everything broke right so they just have great depth but you mentioned the seniors they have five guys who are actually graduate seniors on this team they have 11 upperclassmen out of their 13 scholarships so this is a win now team for Anthony Latino without a doubt, but it's led by Nico Gallette. Joey Riley's a really good guard. He was an all conference third teamer last year in the NEC. Uh, but he also brought in some really good transfers. Kyle McGee's a, a division two guy from Westchester who had a, a checkered career there. And then Alex Sobel is a division three national player of the year last year at Middlebury college up in Vermont. So Latina brings in some transfers. He had, they got bit by the injury bug quite a bit last year. So I think Latina really wanted to build that depth out and to protect against having guys like Aiden Carpenter, as you're familiar with from Siena and Brandon McGuire, you're also familiar with at Quinnipiac. Those guys couldn't stay on the floor last year and be healthy. So Latina's brought in McGee and Sobel and because of it, they're nine, 10 deep right now on that roster. And you mentioned Aiden Carpenter, the Siena transfer, and Brendan McGuire from Quinnipiac, who didn't play Monday night in Sacred Heart season opener against Sarah Lawrence, the Division Three school, 
Also, Raheem Solomon, a name that Iona fans will probably remember from his time at Niagara several years ago. Looking at the box score, five guys in double figures Monday night against Division Three. Usually you take those games, Ryan, with a grain of salt, but what can you take away from Sacred Heart putting up 95 points in its opener? Honestly, not much, Jaden. You know, Sarah Lawrence is not a very good Division Three team, so it really was just truly an exhibition. It was it was kind of a showcase to see what you know what kind of roles this team would have. Uh, you know, Golette came off the bench because he was nursing an ankle injury this preseason, so Latino was a little bit more careful with his minutes. But you saw Alex Sobel start at the five; he played really good minutes. You know. Um, 12 points, two blocks, 10 rebounds, your dominant five man. Tanner Thomas, you know, as you know, you know, is uh Tyler's brother. Tanner was really productive with 14 rebounds and eight points. So, you know, everyone is kind of playing the part right now. We'll see what happens. You know, this is you know, when they when they face Ione on Friday night, that's really where the rubber meets the road. Um, you know, because obviously Tobin Anderson has a strong team coming back, you know, with his with his 12, I believe, transfers coming in. So um, it's going to be a true test for Sacred Heart, but you know it's one that they. I, I'm expecting them to at least be competitive in that game. I know it's a buy game. You know, Iona actually paid Sacred Heart to come there, which is kind of ironic, given that this is going to be a regular conference game starting next year in the MAC. But I really, you know, Sacred Heart should be competitive in this game if they really are the NEC front runners. If they really have this great depth that I'm talking about, they really need to kind of match Tobin Anderson's lineup. You know body for body. And, you know, for what it's worth, Anthony Latina is 2-0 against Tobin Anderson last year. And as, as we know, Anderson had that incredible run at Fairleigh Dickinson. The only head coach he couldn't beat was Anthony Latina. So that record's going to be on the line. I, I'm not expecting a Sacred Heart win, but I'm expecting them to, at the very least, be competitive and run up and down the floor with the Gales. You talked about the familiarity that Anthony Latina and Sacred Heart have with Tobin Anderson. And we're talking to Ryan Peters from Blue Ribbon at NEC Overtime as Sacred Heart prepares to face Iona Friday night. How much does that help Sacred Heart with Iona's vast personnel reload? Only one player in Osborne, Shema, coming back. And Shema didn't play in Iona's opener Monday night against Charleston. Does the familiarity that Latina has with Tobin and the system that he employs give the Pioneers maybe a little bit of a leg up here, do you think? I don't think so, because Tobin knows Sacred Heart, right? He faced him twice last year. So at the very least, Anthony knows that Tobin's going to play up-tempo. They're going to trap. They're going to He's going to implement the same system that he has that he had with success at Fairleigh Dickinson, at St. Thomas Aquinas, at all his prior stops. So Anthony knows Tobin's system. He knows that he knows how he's going to deploy his players and in what positions they're going to play, especially when they're doing the full court press. So that helps a little bit, but really it's going to come down to talent and execution really. And uh, you know, I, I think Sacred Heart was matched to talent really well with Fairleigh Dickinson last year. And they just, they had really good offensive performances and that's what led to the two and zero record this year against Iona. You mentioned, you know, Shema, I'll be curious to see if he plays because that's going to be a fantastic matchup at the five with Sobel. Um, but, you know, there's a lot more talent I own than there was last year at Fairleigh Dickinson. So Sacred Heart's got to match that talent and just execute and kind of take care of the basketball and make their threes. That's something that they couldn't do last year. They were only 31% from deep. They have to make their outside shots for this offense to open up because they have plenty of slashers, plenty of guys who could get to the rim. But you need to open that floor up with, with making threes. And Anthony Latina, I'm sure, is hopeful that his team can make 35 40% of their takes on Friday night. And 
as Sacred Heart takes on Iona. We'll talk about Nico Gallette, who gets the lion's share of the attention here for Sacred Heart, Ryan, in his senior season. And this Sacred Heart program has not been treated very well by the transfer portal in recent years, losing Kane Broom to Cincinnati, Quincy McKnight to Seton Hall, EJ Anasicki to Tennessee after that, Aaron Clark to Stony Brook, and so many other transfers from the team a couple of years ago. Tyler that, Thomas. Tyler Thomas to Hofstra. Man, yeah. we should we should know that considering Hofstra is yeah. a big part of the site's coverage. That Thomas also Cam Parker and Kareem Ozier, but for Gallette to stay and provide some kind of continuity for this roster, how important has that been, Ryan, for Latina and what he hopes to continue building with this program? It's huge because you know, like you mentioned, Jaden, if if Galette follows suit with his prior teammates or, you know, past players at Sacred Heart, you could kind of create a domino effect, right? You have one guy leave and another guy gets uncertain, he leaves, and then it just kind of creates a cascade where next thing you know, you're trying to fill four or five scholarships in the late spring with your with your team. Um, you know, to Galette's credit, he's a he's a great kid. Um, he's an engineering major at Sacred Heart. I know he values his education very highly. His late mom really wanted him to be an engineer. And so he's doing that at Sacred Heart. He's he's there. He's committed to get his four-year degree, which he will achieve this year. He does have one more year of eligibility after this year. So I'll be curious to see what he does going into his graduate senior season. But he's just a great kid. He loves he loves the program. He loves Anthony. He loves Sacred Heart. And uh you know, there was really little doubt that he was going to transfer. You always worry about your stars leaving, especially if he's an all-conference first teamer like he was last year. But, um, you know, I know Latina is very happy to have him around. He's a great locker room guy. The kids love him on the team. And uh, that kind of sets the tone. You, know, you bring back all these seniors, and then you bring these graduate seniors on. Like I mentioned, Sobel and McGee, they want to come to this team, and they want to compete because the culture, the chemistry is really good because everyone's sticking around. And uh, so it just creates a great dynamic. And, you know, Nico Glad is a huge part of that. And one more for Sacred Heart before we shift gears to FDU. Ryan, what has to go right for the Pioneers Friday night against Iona to come out of New Rochelle with an upset win? Well, they got to protect the ball. You always have to protect the ball against Tobin Anderson. I learned that last year against FDU. You know, Tobin is so big on turnover margin on a game-by-game basis you know, he told me like his goal is always to have five more turnovers in the other team. And if you do that, you're going to win 90, 95% of your game. So he's hyper-focused on turnover margin. They're going to press, they're going to trap you at inopportune times. You have to take care of the ball. So Sacred's got to do that first and foremost. And then if you break those, you, you if you break that press and you get your odd man opportunities, you have to make outside shots. I think those are going to be two critical things for Anthony Latina. That's going to be on the board going into the game on Friday night. And if they could do those two things, keep turnovers to maybe say 12 or less in the game, that's a tall task against this Iona team that could extract turnovers for sure. But if they could do that and make some shots on the outside, they have a chance to pull off the upset. Talking to Ryan Peters of Blue Ribbon and NEC Overtime, previewing the two Northeast Conference teams that come into the area this weekend, Sacred Heart on Friday at Iona and FDU on Saturday against Seton Hall. Ryan, FDU comes in off an upset win at Buffalo Monday night, taking on UB and defeating the Bulls 92 to 86 in Jack Castleberry's division one head coaching debut. Jack was Tobin Anderson's top assistant last year. And then when Tobin left to take the Iona job, he stayed in house Brad Hurl, but the AD promoted him also on Wednesday night 
a 107-63 home win over Penn State. Brandywine, a Division Three school, so FDU is 2-0 going into Saturday's clash with Seton Hall. But, Ryan, how much of the Buffalo game were you able to see or keep track of Monday night, and what impressed you most about the Knights picking up right where they left off after the historic march? I did catch most of the second half of that game, Jaden. So and I, I was impressed with just the Knights' tenacity. I mean, they were just getting after it on both ends. They were pressing. They were creating – they were generating turnovers. They were aggressive on offense, especially with their slashing. And then kind of when they had a fast-break opportunity, it took advantage of it. Um, you know, they have great athleticism on this team. And we mentioned Nico Gallet and him staying at Sacred Heart. Well, credit to Jack Castleberry to keep all these guys around, Sean Moore and Joe, Joe Munden and Ansley Almanor and Joel Emanuel. All these guys stuck around and stayed because they wanted to build on what was a historic season for Fairleigh Dickinson last year when they slayed Purdue in the second round of the NCAA tournament. So credit to Castleberry to bring all these guys back. Um, and you know, their, their missions to win the NEC, you know, a little known fact is, or people forget this. They didn't win the NEC last year, the regular season or the tournament. That was Merrimack who did that. So Fairleigh Dickinson has that in the back of their mind. They still want to win the conference. That's their goal. Even though they had great success in the NCAA tournament, historic success, uh, becoming only the second, you know, uh, 16 seed to knock off a one seed. They, they, they're coming into this you know, season on a mission. They're not complacent at all. And you saw that in the Buffalo game. They played with that sense of urgency in the second half. And this team's just, they're not afraid of the big moment. You know, Buffalo came back in that game. They made a run. They t- they went on a 12-2 run. Buffalo did, you know, middle of that second half. They tied the game and Fairleigh Dickinson did not panic. They executed their offense down the stretch. Like I said, they're they're unfazed by the big moment. You know, they'll they'll take any shot at any time great defender. So it was the same. It was the status quo. Nothing really changed going from Tobin Anderson to Jack Castleberry, at least through one game against Buffalo, but just really impressive for them to pull off that upset in their season opener. Joel Emanuel had 24 points and 11 rebounds in that game Monday night, Ryan stepping up to fill the void left perhaps by Dimitri Robertson, Grant Singleton from last season as the Knights go to guy along with Ansley Almanor up front, and you mentioned Sean Moore and Joe Munden Jr. as well. Was Alma, was Emmanuel's 24 points somewhat of a surprise, all things considered, given that Almanor, Moore, and Munden commanded most of the attention last season? Yeah, it was definitely a surprise. 24 and 11 was not on my bingo card for Emmanuel in the first game of the year, but he – when last year as a freshman, he was he was a high energy athletic five man who came off the bench. Um, and he did that job really well, but didn't really have much of an outside shot. Um, was definitely a little foul prone at times, but I mean the offseason just paid dividends to him. He's bulked up, it's clear. He's always had great athleticism, but now he's stretched it out. He was two or four from deep in that game. That was probably the biggest surprise for me, the fact that he was turning into kind of a stretch power forward and being able to supplement that athleticism around the rim with his ability to stretch the defense and pull an opposing big out into the perimeter with him. So for him coming up with 24-11, because this team had had an injury. They they lost uh, Cam Tweedy, who was – a very pro- prolific uh, rebounder, especially on the offensive end. He was going to be a key guy in their front court. So Emmanuel just steps in and fills that void. So you got Emmanuel, you got Almanor. Those are two guys playing in the front court that can really stretch the defense. 
And it just really creates a, an awkward situation for the opposing bigs. You have to have guys who are comfortable getting out in the perimeter and guarding them. Because if you leave them open, they're going to make a shot. And then you have great slashers like Devontae Jamison. He comes over from St. Thomas Aquinas. He's the point guard that replaces Dimitri Roberts. He's just lightning quick. I was impressed with his quickness in that Buffalo game, just getting from his spot from point A to point B. He was able to do it without Buffalo providing any kind of resistance. So you have those slashers. Munden's a great slasher. Moore can score anywhere on the floor. You supplement that outside scoring with that slashing, and it makes FDU a very dangerous offensive team. Talking to Ryan Peters from Blue Ribbon and NEC Overtime, FDU looking to go 3-0 and when it visits Wolfsham on Saturday afternoon to take on Seton Hall. Ryan, one thing that has played the Pirates in their one regular season game against St. Peter's and the exhibition the week prior at NJIT, their big men that Shaheen Holloway brought in through the transfer portal, Jaden Bediaco from Santa Clara and Elijah Hutchins Everett from Austin P, struggling to adjust to the speed of the Big East and perhaps the pace of the game at a higher level, really didn't produce much against St. Peter's, only eight points and five rebounds combined between Betty Ako, Hutchins Everett, and Sada Nganga, who came in over the summer, a newcomer to the Seton Hall program. And as a result, Seton Hall was exploited by some programs playing small ball like NJIT and St. Peter's, both of whom had second-half leads midway through the second half on the Pirates. If you're Jack Castleberry, Ryan, with your lineup that you have, how much do you exploit that and go to the well against Seton Hall's bigs? Uh, I mean, you you run and gun because you look at their first two games against Buffalo. They had 78 possessions in the game, and then they had 81 against Penn State Brandywine. So that's really fast. You know, that's 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 a really high tempo. They have the horses to do that. Like I mentioned, they have the undersized bigs who are great shooters, but they also could rim run, especially Emmanuel. That was actually one thing he did really well last year was rim run. So those Seton Hall bigs better get ready for kind of an up and down affair. Cause you know, if, if Jack Castleberry has the ability to control the tempo and the pace of this game, it's going to sway a little bit in fairly Dickinson's favor. Of course, Seton Hall is going to be a heavy favorite going into this one, but um, you know, Shaw's got to have to do his best to kind of control the pace, control the tempo and kind of keep these FDU guards and even the big men out, out of the open floor and, you know, getting them into space. Cause if they get some space, they're very dangerous, both in the half court, but also in transition. You talked about Devontae Jamison, who's listed at 5'8", coming over from St. Thomas Aquinas, played for Tobin Anderson over there before Tobin left for FDU and now Iona. They call him Bullet because of his speed on the floor. How are you projecting this matchup for him against Kadari Richmond? How intrigued are you to watch him go up against a guy like Richmond who gives – who has almost a foot advantage in height over him. Kadari is 6'6", going up against a 5'8", Jameson, who is going to have to use his speed to find seams in the lane. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I mean, I think Jameson will have – you know, maybe he could exploit that speed and get by Richmond a few times and kind of use his low center of gravity to kind of – you know, get himself in advantageous situations, especially in the half court. But I think it, it flips the other way too. Like, how are they going to guard Richmond? You know, you mentioned six six. You know, FDU's got some pretty good athletic wings like Munden and Moore, who are very good defensive players. But you do have a smallish backcourt. You mentioned five eight Jamison. So I I wonder where Jack Castleberry is going to put him on the floor, especially when they're in the half court. You know, when they're when they're in the press. 
They typically like to put those athletic forwards at the top of that press and try to use their length and athleticism to create, you know, get deflections and create turnovers. And then you kind of settle into the half court, but I'm very curious to see where they're going to put Jamison on the floor. Cause you can't really hide him that size. And it will be interesting to see if Shaw tries to exploit that out of the gate. And there's also a chance you could see Almanor or Emmanuel perhaps on a Dre Davis as a stretch four. That's a matchup that could go either way as well. Where do you see that advantage playing out? Yeah, it's gonna be that's gonna be a very interesting one too. I mean, I don't know much of Dre Davis's game. I know he played at Louisville for a little bit and played, you know, a decent amount of time last year, but wasn't a huge rotation piece for Seton Hall last year. So um it'll be interesting to see, you know. Almanor is not overly athletic. He's a guy who could step out and stretch it, though. He's a very good mid-range shooter. So, like I said, you're, if you're guarding him, you're going to have to be really good at getting around on the perimeter and following him around. Emmanuel has a lot more athleticism to his game. He's got a little bit of more of above-the-rim ability, a guy who could go and get the rebound the ball. So it'll be interesting to see where Dre, Dre Javis, how he matches up against either of those guys. Um, you know, you know, he's six, six, so he's going to be a similar height than both Emmanuel who's six, seven and Munden, or I'm sorry. And, uh, Almanor, who's also six, six, they list him as six, six, but he might be six, five. You know, these guys are not very big, but, um, don't forget too, Almanor, you know, battled with, with Zach Eady last year against Purdue and did very well, held Eady to just one field goal in the final nine minutes of that, upset win and you know is a critical part of why Purdue ended up losing to Fairleigh Dickinson so definitely will be interesting in the front court how the matchup goes on Saturday and Ryan with two wins under its belt how much is momentum going to play a role for FDU against Seton Hall what has to go right for the Knights to make it three in a row and pick up another high level win you know, it's going to be a lot of the same that they did, you know, that they did in Buffalo. You know, they they like they got up and down the floor. They were able to make just enough threes, 39 percent from deep in that Buffalo game, uh, 1.18 points per possession. They were really effective. And the key was they really took care of the basketball. They had 18 assists to six turnovers. I mean, that's an incredible three to three to one assist to turnover ratio. They're not going to achieve that against Seton Hall, of course, but. As you know, Shaw, you know, going back to St. Peter's, he prided himself on the defensive end, getting turnovers, making it very tough to, to shoot over the top of that defense. Fairleigh Dickinson, like I said, with Sacred Heart Iona, Fairleigh Dickinson has to take care of the basketball and just kind of control the pace, control the tempo, turn it into a track meet, you know, try to kind of neutralize the size advantage that Seton Hall has by making it more of an open floor type of game. And if they do that, they could have a shot to at least be competitive going deep into the second half. Talking to Ryan Peters of Blue Ribbon and NEC Overtime, Sacred Heart at Iona Friday, FDU at Seton Hall on Saturday. And Ryan, Sacred Heart and Merrimack will be leaving the NEC at the end of this season and going to the MAC for the 2024-25 season. I wanted to get your thoughts on the Warriors and Pioneers going from the NEC to the MAC and the step up in competition. Joe Gallo has done great work at Merrimack in five years, winning the NEC regular season championship twice. But because of the Division I transition, Merrimack unable to compete in the NCAA tournament. Where do you see them f- sliding into the MAC right away and for Sacred Heart with a lot of veterans on the roster now? If Anthony Latina can keep most of them together, where do you see Sacred Heart projecting? 
Yeah, it's a great question, Jaden. I think right now, I you know, Sacred Heart's the preseason number one in the NEC. If they were playing in the MAC this year, they're probably, to be fair, probably, I would say maybe upper middle tier. And we'll, we'll, we'll learn a lot about this team when they play Iona on Friday night to see if that's an actual true, you know, a, a realistic projection. But I think they could be middle tier, upper middle tier. You know, I heard they beat Quinnipiac in a scrimmage, uh, you know, in a preseason scrimmage as well. So I, for whatever that's worth. But with all the experience that they have, you mentioned, you know, all the seniors, the upperclassmen. Um, and Anthony Latina is great at reloading on the transfer portal. So going into next year, I know he loses a bunch of guys. He's going to lose Riley, Solomon, McGuire, guys like that, you know, Sobel, McGee. Anthony Latina is very good at reloading on the transfer portal. He's lost a lot of guys, as you mentioned, Jaden, but he's also been very good at getting guys into the program that could play and be impactful right away. So I think he'll be able to kind of, you know, use that, you know, you know, it's going to be a step up in competition, but I think he'll be able to kind of find a maybe a little bit better athlete, a little bit longer, a little bit more length, maybe some better shooters. I think he'll be able to adjust his kind of recruiting profile to kind of scale up to the Mac. And then Joe Gallo, I mean, Joe Gallo's won at every level he's been at in Merrimack. You know, they were a Division II juggernaut when he was in the NE10. They were a juggernaut in the NEC, despite, as you mentioned, not being eligible for the tournament in the first four years. They still won two regular season titles. And then the one year they're eligible for the NEC tournament, they win that too. So I have no doubt that Gallo with his 2-3 zone, that attacking zone, that will translate up to the MAC. He's going to have to probably recruit a little bit higher caliber guy than he's been used to in the past. But I, I have no worries about that. Him and Phil Gaetano and they, they do such a great job, you know, recruiting and, and kind of finding guys that fit their system really well, that two, three zone, you know, athleticism, guys with great anticipation, wingspan, they know what they're doing. And so I have no, you know, no doubts that, you know, Gallo will get his program ready for Mac play next year when, when the time comes. Will we see you in Atlantic city next March, Ron? <laughs> So you're talking about March of 2025? Yes, assuming all goes well. Yes, assuming yeah, I I think yes, I will be there. I mean, it's about a 2-hour drive from my my residence now here in the Garden State, so I think I could uh convince my wife that it's okay for me to take that 2-hour drive and uh you know, maybe I get a hotel at the Borgata. I'm a, I'm a poker fan too, so you know, you kind of combine Mac Mac basketball, you know, tournament basketball with some uh maybe some time in the poker room. And that's, that's a fun weekend for me. It's a beautiful thing. And I'll tell you again, when we get closer, but unofficially, officially welcome to the Mac media family, Ryan, we're looking forward to having you in the conference. You do some great work with the NEC and we're looking forward to you translating that into the Mac come November of 2024. Yeah, it's a mixed bag. It's mixed emotions for me, Jaden. As you know, like I love the NEC. I've been working with them for for ten years. Great people work in that office, and so it. it I completely understand why Sacred Heart had to make the jump. You know, me being an alum, I you know they they were very competitive in the NEC. They won a bunch of commissioner cups. They have thirty one sports. They fund them really well. They do a really good job. You know, funding those sports and. So I have no doubt that they're going to be able to compete in most sports in the MAC when they scale up next year. And I can understand why they did it, but it's just tough. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be a change. It's going to be an adjustment for me, but um, 
you know, for now, like I said, I'm just trying to stay in the present and try to enjoy this NEC season. You know, this is the first time Sacred Heart's been preseason number one since, I don't know, maybe ever in their Division One history. So I'm just really looking forward to the season. Obviously, I'm going to be objective as I possibly can covering the conference. But as that, as that alum, as that fan, I'm optimistic for Sacred Heart and their chances and kind of take it one season at a time and then once March and April roll around, I'll look, I'll look forward and look ahead to, uh, to Mac basketball. Sounds good. Ryan Peters, Blue Ribbon NEC overtime previewing Sacred Heart and FDU for their matchups this weekend. Sacred Heart at Iona Friday, FDU at Seton Hall on Saturday. Ryan, thank you again for coming on and spending some time with us. Good luck in your coverage and your travels this season. And we'll catch up with you sometime soon down the road. Thanks, Jaden. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. Anytime.